You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith and Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. Hey guys, welcome back to the Land and Legacy Podcast. Adam here. We're going to jump into this week's podcast with one of our clients we visited with this spring, Mr. Eric Pickock over in southern Kentucky. He's got an interesting story, bought the property several years ago, it's been doing all kinds of work, um, but as time has progressed, he's gotten more serious about true habitat management. So we visited him in February, and long story short, he's come a long ways. I think you're going to enjoy this one. Before we kick it off, though, we just want to remind you, one of our partners that makes this podcast possible, Niangua Coffee. If you're looking for a great cup of coffee this fall, uh, with the temperatures dropping, deer camp just around the corner, you're not going to find a better cup of coffee than Niangua Coffee. Great people, great coffee. That's N-I-A-N-G-U-A-C-O-F-F-E-E.com. Niangua Coffee. Check them out. All right, guys, um, we're going to jump into this podcast here uh, with one of our clients that we visited um, this past February, and uh, you're going to hear this story of kind of, he's he's one of the clients that I enjoy hearing updates from, and, uh, you know, we're just going to jump right in. As you heard me talk at the beginning of this podcast, uh, kind of what excites me about this project, but uh, we got Mr. Eric Pickock on here. Eric, how are you? I'm doing great. It's good to be with you. Awesome, awesome. Well, I know it's been. Uh, you still riding high over there? Yes, sir. It's uh, it's been going good. We've uh, had a had a good start to the fall. Um, I got one on the ground uh, a couple of days ago, on the twenty second, I believe, and so started off good. It was the first time I was I went hunting this season. So, oh man. Well, when you when you uh, when you get one buck tag in Kentucky, you have to ride that high as long as you possibly can, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do. Uh, yeah, that's right. Cause you better make it count. If you don't, you're gonna, <laughs> yeah. you're gonna regret it. Yeah. So, so you have for for the listeners, you have one buck tag in the state of Kentucky. Yeah. And by the way, I don't know if you guys figured this out yet. But uh, I I love talking to all the different people. But it's just like when I when I'm talking to a guy from Kentucky, I know he's from Kentucky or at least close by because of his his accent. So uh, no different with you. And uh, so you get one buck tag, and 
you just told me that it was your first hunt, right? Yeah, that was uh, that the the hunt that I went on the other day was the first one that I've been on uh, this season. Oh man! Uh, so you're w- one and done. Yep, that's that's it for me. So the rest of the <clears throat> rest of the season will be filled up with uh, kids and the wife and you know that sort of thing. So awesome, awesome. Yeah. So let's walk me through i guess we'll go through your hunt first and then we'll dial it back and go to we'll go all the way to rewind actually no let's not do that Uh, we're going to start off i visited your place back february i think it was right after the um, national wild turkey federation national convention um and i guess that's right there around valentine's day every year and i visited your place and uh you know, I, I even covered it on this podcast. Kind of a mix of a mix of uh, habitat features. You had some big timber. You had some uh, other timber stands that were not necessarily big timber, but old fields that had grown up over time. Um, you had crops. You had big food plots. Um, you had a lot of edge already occurring. <laughs> Um, right, right. And, uh, you know, the one big thing, the one shining feature that uh, that I think I highlighted on that podcast was the amount of invasives on your place. Yeah, that's right. I had a I had a ton of them. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, well, I had a ton of them. I, I've, I've had a I've uh, waged war on those. Yeah. So to... tell me, you know, how long have you owned the place? I bought the place in the fall of 2016. It was in November of 2016 when I when I when I bought it. it went up for auction, and it was a place that I'd already hunted. That I'd hunted this this farm and was familiar with it and knew it uh, since I was a boy. Oh wow! And uh, and so uh, it was. Well, it was that same year I'd actually. I'd actually killed a, a really nice buck that that same fall that the same fall that I bought it uh, in the fall of 2016. So that deer suckered you in. Yeah, it did. <laughs> it did. That, that, that's a story in and of itself. I had no idea um, that I would buy the place. I had no idea I'd end up with it. Um, it was just kind of a. I didn't know I would even be able to buy uh, a piece of ground and uh, I just I got to checking on it and, and you saw that there was uh, perhaps a possibility I could get it and I had a had a number in mind that I was going to give and that's what it brought and so I was able to get it and I, I was just fortunate in how that many regard. how many total acres 125 125 acres and you were hunting it is this the this was the first ever piece of ground that you'd bought. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. yeah. Now, you know, I mean, my dad's always had land, and I grew up on a farm, but uh, this is the first ground that I've owned myself. Gotcha. So you bought the farm, or you killed a nice buck, and you turn around and you bought the farm. That was 2016. So going into 2017, um, you started. Uh, what What was the initial as a as a land owner? focused or or very interested in hunting what were some of the first things you did to that place well i i believe i tried i believe i tried everything under the sun 
but uh, uh, I made a lot of mistakes. I tried. I mean, I, I was I was just soaking stuff up like a sponge. If I, I was watching stuff on YouTube, I was reading magazines. I was I mean, I'll see stuff and I'll be like, man, I ought to try that. <laughs> And, That's a scary world, man. Yeah, and and man, I I would try it, and it, 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 some of it was good, and a lot of it was bad. And you know, I, it's funny. I I'm I'm kind of a, a old fashioned at heart, and you know, I didn't even I didn't even know what a podcast was till like two years ago, and you know, I was somebody told me about them. I thought it was like books that people read to you or something so so i got to looking on these podcasts and i ran across you guys and i'm man i've been thankful for that ever since awesome yeah that's uh you know visiting your place uh you're kind of southern kentucky correct yeah you know right on yeah. the, i'm i my house of course it's it's about 10 miles from the farm but i live within a mile of Tennessee Kentucky line. Okay, so everybody can kind of visualize he's yeah. su- he's southern Kentucky and uh you know dis- in a in a course of or a study side of 5 years you're going to have probably do you believe you probably if you if you look over the course of 5 years 2015 to 2020 do you feel like you had hotter summers like the summer was a bigger stress period or a winter being a bigger stress period when you look at the nope. years what do you think the, the winters have been somewhat mild they haven't been all that bad yeah um there there've been a, a, i'd say within five years we might have we've had a couple good snows that lasted a long time but by and large mild winters hot summers um you know that that that's typically what what we see. So your biggest history. stress period is is the middle of uh, or late summer, probably if you get a drought, and right. sometimes the winter. So you're looking. Right. There's a lot of guys that probably, if you ask them that, um, that's and you ask them to look back over the course of five years, they may say, "Wow, actually, you know, I think the summers are probably worse." Um, you don't think about it because summers aren't as bad on us as as the winters can be, but when you're looking at food availability and heat and insects and all those things, late summer, especially on drought years, um, could be much harder on deer than winter in your area when you look at five-year studies or 10-year study site. Um, and so that kind of plays in with, with the direction of, you know, some of the big habitat features that you did initially. Um when I was there, uh, you had several acres that you'd planted in switchgrass monocultures, um, yeah. and that kind of play into that whole like this is this is the grass that stands up to the winters. But as you know, the winters aren't that t- tough for you. Um, right. So one of the big things that we looked at was okay, how do we incorporate more of a herbaceous? Uh, more herbaceous plant communities within these old field acres to where it's not so much of a, a dominated landscape of switchgrass. Right, yeah, because I had, you know, I had ended up having several acres of, of that switchgrass, and, of course, you know, that, that 
that's expensive to put in and and time consuming and you know you invest a lot in trying to put that in and uh, you know i had i had uh in establishment years i had i was dealing with uh um <clears throat> japanese spilt grass yeah um you know it, it was bad and i was dealing with that and then when it was getting established i just personally i just didn't see uh i just didn't really see them using it uh like i'd hoped you know i thought it was going to be this just this magnet you yeah. know they were going to be stacked in there like cordwood you know. yeah yeah <laughs> and, yeah and, and, but it just it wasn't like that at all i mean it just seemed like they stuck to the typical places i'd always you know seen them you know in the uh more more timbered areas cut cut over timbered areas that kind of thing yep. that's where they stayed you know that's where they wanted to be yep yeah it makes sense it's kind of one of those know your climate know your area because uh, switchgrass may be an amazing thing for your area but yeah. right and it's meaning one so... of the listeners and and so if you're if for your case you're going ah man this isn't what i hoped yeah yeah, and it got so rank quick, and and within a couple of years, you know, it just, you know, there were some spots it was just, uh, I don't know why a deer would want to go through it. Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, that's typically what we see a lot too in in our experience, and and that goes even in Iowa's. Sometimes switchgrass gets so so thick that the deer almost you almost create bottlenecks or barriers that you know that they're going to walk around it because. They don't want to fight their way through it, mm-hmm. which makes sense when you think about a deer. And um, the first thing to go into the in, into the into the brush is a sensitive nose and and eyeballs and their face. And you mm-hmm. think about switchgrass; it's like, well, that's kind of like jumping into a a big old spider web for you and I. Yeah, um, not doesn't sound like a lot of fun. So. You kind of, uh, as as we visit, is like, all right, we need to figure out a way to incorporate more herbaceous plants in these switchgrass areas. Get the more old field aspect. Uh, mm-hmm. 125 acres. How many acres in crop? Uh, 25. Okay. So about 100 acres to manage for the wildlife, um, the actual habitat. And then how many acres of food plots? About five. So you got about five acres. Um, so five percent of the hundred acres that you're managing but uh over the whole acres uh, whole acreage you're less than five percent so typical it's it's very typical for uh and there's going to be a podcast coming soon on this kind of topic for matt and i but um less than five percent of the total farm is in food plots Mm -hmm. if i was to go out on limb that's probably one of the first things one of your first things you implemented whenever you bought the farm is that correct (laughs) yeah exactly yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it was. If it wasn't that, it was food plots and planting, uh, you know, all kinds of trees. Okay, yep. That that is another fruit common. Trees. That's right. right. Yeah. Yep. So you did plant fruit trees. What kind, What yeah. species did you plant? I planted pear and apple. Okay. Um, 2016, and so you plant those and ended up in 17, or did you plant them right when you got there? I I planted it like day one. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So you're four yeah. years four years into it. Have you seen much fruit produced? Uh, I got some of my first fruit this year. Okay. 
So yeah. four-year investment, now you're starting to see some fruit. Right. Okay. Um, right. And then you look and, at – okay, go ahead. And, and with the fruit trees, you know, um, it it would be okay, but uh, it's going to work out better for me now because I'm going to be living there. Yeah. And and so I can take care of it, whereas if it if they were just stuck out there to take care of themselves, you know, it it's a little bit – it's a little bit more difficult to to, yeah. to make them ever produce. They're not quite as hardy and as thick skinned as an oak, are they? No, they're not. They definitely <laughs> not. Yeah. So, um, you planted the food plots and you planted the fruit trees. And you planted switchgrass not too long into that. And then, um, one thing that I I will say uh, that I that probably excites me the most about your project was your already occurring and future plans to manage the timber. Tell me about right. the first little bit when you started managing the timber. All right. When I, when I bought the place, um, I, I bought the land and another guy bought the timber and he was to clear cut it. And, and that's what he did. You know, he, he come in, he clear cut it and he was gone within a few months time. So I was left um, you know, with a, you know, with just regeneration of what yeah. was ever going to come back. You were left so, with a, uh, basically for people to, to see a picture, um, you have a big giant field of, or 125 acre field of, of corn and it's sold. And then another guy buys the corn and then he harvests yeah. all the corn and then leaves all the weeds. Right. Yeah, that's that's it. <laughs> and you're waiting on the spilled grain to sprout and grow more corn, or yeah. or the weeds are going to outcompete those. And that's exactly what's kind of occurring. Of you had some yep. young oaks and some twisted up oaks and oaks yep. in hard to reach places, but for yep. the most part, if there was any kind of value on the place, it was it was yep. cut. Yep. Which and, and and you know I mean from just just for me personally, you know I'm never going to see. I'm never going to see the benefit in my lifetime of, of what those trees are going to eventually become um, and see them harvested, but somebody will. Yeah. And, and somebody's going to come on after me. And, and so, you know, I thought, you know, my children, you know, may benefit from this. My kids, you know, they may benefit, you know, for me to, to be a good steward and to take care of, of, what timber is there and do everything I could to make sure that it would make something profitable for them one day. Um, and so I started TSI. Um, I was paid to do it. So why would, why in the world do you not do it? Um, yep. And so, uh, a lot of that involved invasives and controlling invasives and, um, and then, uh, you know, I had help with the fine, uh, with, figuring out what species to keep and what species not uh to keep and uh and so that was a i I, it hadn't been that long since i finished uh some of those tsi projects and i i can tell you know even in a short time i can tell a difference in those areas Yeah. yeah how quickly did you notice deer benefiting from your tsi areas uh, is almost immediate. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, you, you could cut, cut, you cut a tree down, and they'd be, eat, they'd be eating on the buds that evening. Yeah. You know, um, it was. 
or they would be or they would be in there just milling around just just checking things out i mean you would you would every day you'd go in you would be busting deer out yeah so when you bought the farm and you started you know you planted fruit trees you planted food plots you put in some switchgrass and then you started cutting timber Mm -hmm. I, i i personally have a strong bias for native habitat management um yes. and so but i hope everybody caught the the difference in planting the fruit trees now the fruit trees i'm not bashing those i i like planting trees as well but you yeah. have to have a different mindset and don't expect to sink them in the ground and be shooting booners off of yeah. booners 20 yards away eating apples uh, it takes yeah. it's a long term investment with a lot of variables that can come into play to to, to kill that investment. Um, right. But the timber stand improvements where you're like uh, the night of or the next day, it's almost immediate. Not only yeah. is it immediate food, but it was almost immediate cover, and it lasts for several years. Yeah. And yeah. and too, I, I I really noticed that as I got rid of as I got rid of one thing i you know something else would come back and and you know a lot of times it was it was something good that you wanted there and so uh you know that was exciting uh to go and to see you know i went i was driving i was driving through the farm today on a section of the timber and uh that i had done some work in and and there was a uh purple mist flowers just everywhere oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. it's a and, beautiful uh, one yeah yeah so i thought man that's so pretty uh, for sure and you know what wasn't there you know wasn't there until i got rid of some stuff yeah it was just in the seed bank waiting to waiting to jump right yeah um so i want to back up so people probably like who who's paying you you entered nrcs um equip program is that or was that the program you went with or was it a state program um it was through the state okay through the state yep um so a lot of states have the option to do cost share programs to help landowners improve habitat uh, for a lot of wildlife so you're not going in and and doing a bunch of hinge cuts it was a lot of just timber stand improvement so you're trying to remove uh, yep. remove invasives, remove overstocked areas and trying to just promote diversity and promote a healthy forest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, a, it was, you know, everything that you would be doing anyway, uh, for the most part. Yeah. Um, you know, except, you know, except they're paying you to do it with the hopes of in, in the future, maybe them seeing a return on their, their small investment, uh, yep. No, so. Meaning, basically, what he's saying is, uh, they may pay you two thousand dollars to to do this big area or this area to cut, and then ten years from now, you may do a harvest where it brings in twenty thousand dollars, and they get tax yeah. benefits. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 So, um, it, it and it works really well, and I think the government cost share is a, is a great program for a lot of people to utilize, and and that's kind of the mindset the government has with it is they'll get their money at some point if it's done yeah. correctly. Right. Yep. Or or it creates healthy healthy uh, populations of games, so you're going to be buying tags and buying gear to chase them, so they get a tax on that. Right, right. So it, it works well. 
Um, right. When you first planted your food plot, because um, you've kind of been a little bit of a, uh, I've been we've been chatting since since the consult. Now I visited in February, and you had already planted Legacy Blend last fall, uh, or yeah. the fall prior. So I got to see Legacy um, a lot earlier. You were starting to green up even where we were at, uh, or where you're at. Uh, mm-hmm. long before it was greening up over here. Um, right. You already had some turnips starting to put off some yellow blooms. Um, and so you'd planted the Legacy 12A blend and um, had done well for you. Um, walk me through a little bit. You've got five acres of food plots. So you, you planted, I can't remember, so you have to refresh my memory, but you had a lot of Legacy, but you also had some clover, um, some clover plots. and. You had a couple openings that are going to be converted into food plots, uh, yep. converted back into food plots. And so you planted Legacy, and then you went in and terminated, and you planted, um, for some of our social media people, you may have seen a video where uh, a guy was driving through Heritage in late summer in August, and it was just all kinds of stuff falling over as he was getting ready to plant. That was yep. you. That was your video. Yep. And yep. Uh, so... You planted Heritage into the Legacy Blend last spring. Yep. Uh, no fertilizer. No. Did you just uh, walk me through your planting process? Uh, well, before I'd had the before I'd had the Legacy, you know, I had I had there was soybeans there, so yep. the the soil, the soil uh, was was built up fairly well. Yep. When when the Legacy was put in. Yep. Um, so, you know, I felt like that I could coast uh, through with these multiple blend species. I believe I thought I could coast through uh, without, 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 or with very little inputs. Yes. So, so I planted the legacy. It done really well. I was, I was really happy with it, but I wanted to transition that field to more of a perennial plot. Um, you know, for, I, I just saw that there was some benefits for me and some benefits that I I had observed that I wanted a perennial. Um, so I wanted to convert it to uh, revival. Um, but I didn't want it to lay there all summer with, with nothing on it. So I, I planted the heritage on on into the legacy. And the, Hegis, the heritage grew all summer. And, and I really enjoyed it watching that that stuff grow man it was it was it was something else they exploded and um my kids got to go uh play with the sunflowers and take pictures in the sunflowers and my wife liked it and so that was a bonus and uh and so we planted the heritage i enjoyed it and then uh i drove over it just kind of flattened it and then drilled into it with the revival yeah that's the that's the clover and the Clover, alfalfa, alfalfa, and chicory. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I drilled in into that that I folded over. So based on your location, <clears throat> southern Kentucky, hotter yeah. summers than they are cold winters, you yeah. lean more on perennial mixes like clover, alfalfa, chicory than you do annuals, or especially, you know, there's some of your standing grains going to be great, but... I'm guessing yeah. over that five year same same test site that we talked about with your climate is if you look at five years and go which one's better, you probably lean more towards alfalfa clover chicory blend than you yeah. do standing soybeans. 
Yeah, and, 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 yeah, absolutely. And and you know, with our winters not being as harsh, and um, you know, with the exception of maybe a few, you know, every now and then, it just seems like those those perennial type plots just they just suit suit me so well in this area. Yeah, and uh, I think there's a lot of people that probably notice that as well. Um, yeah, yeah, especially down south. Uh, right. Standing right. sandy soybeans are are great for a lot of people, but if you're down south, you got a, lo- a very small window of where their peak performance when you compare it to a, a perennial blend like the Revival blend or a Clover Chicory alfalfa right. blend, similar right. to that. So, um, right. yeah, and, and, and I like the, I, I like the idea of not having to, you know, plant that field every year. Yeah, and, don't we? You all? know, that's definitely a bit, definitely a, a perk. Yeah. Um, you know, just one less thing that I have to have to do, you know, the spraying it and mowing it once or twice, you know, that's, that's not as big a deal for me. So yeah, as it is, you know, working in a, a time where I can get a drill and take the drill down there and, and put it in the ground. So, yeah, so that's, that was one benefit that I want, why I wanted to do it as well. Talk to me a little bit about your Eastern Red Cedar removal. Oh man. Uh, well, I had plenty of them. <laughs> uh, and I had I had plenty of them, and, and I got I just I don't think I ever I don't think I ever dreamed I would be cutting that many cedars, mm-hmm. um, you know, just because I had in my mind from years past that that's that's the best stuff ever. You why would you want to do that? You know, you why would you kill the clo- uh, kill the cover? Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> But, but I, I saw that, you know, when I cut those cedars down, um, and I saw what would come back in its place, um, you know, I realized that there was, there was a lot of benefits to that. But anyway, I, have you burned any yet? Yeah, I have, I have actually. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's, you know, that's really something what, when you burn not just to cut them but then when you cut and then burn um man the the results is just amazing i love it when i when uh, doing those fields like that yeah have you have you had uh, i'm almost scared to ask but you haven't seen any quail well i've i've seen them driving down the road okay uh so and and I'm saying driving down the road not very far from my place. Okay. Um, you know, so I, I I know they're in the area. I just haven't. You I just haven't, haven't seen, seen them on yet. your farm yet. Yeah. No, not yet. Gotcha. Well, you're not doing yet. all the right things. So we haven't even mentioned edge feathering. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We did that too. Yeah. We've laid. Right. I laid out a bunch of edge feathering for you, and you've been hammering away on it. Hammering out, yep. uh, diversifying your old fields, trying to yep. get back, um, not be so thick in your switchgrass because we know the yep. switchgrass monoculture is not great for the bobwhite quail. So yep. um, you've been trying to diversify that. Removing invasives, Japanese stiltgrass, as you mentioned earlier, was one of the big ones. Um, yep. How's the fight with Japanese stiltgrass? What, what have you found to be the most effective way to control it? Or at least knock it well, back. In the in areas that were open, what my strategy was, and what I tried to do, or what I did do, was in the 
let's see, uh, early spring, March, April, I burn off those fields of switchgrass. Um, switchgrass and Japanese steelgrass. I burn those off. And the reason I did that is because I wanted that I wanted that steel grass to come back with a vengeance as far as germination goes. Yep. And then once, you know, it really come back strong and it was really germinating and really coming on, I went in and hit it with a herbicide. And, you know, after that, I mean, there was stuff that was coming up growing that shaded the ground and, you know, I, di- I didn't see any more stilt grass uh, with the exception of just a few minor spots that I'd go back and, and treat. Um, but that that worked really good. Awesome. Um, What's growing that, in those areas that, now, six months removed? Um, lots and lots and lots of ragweed. It's unbelievable how much ragweed. Um, six, seven-foot tall ragweed. Oh, man, that just, sounds beautiful, minus my allergies. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's just it's it's so tall. It it like I mowed a path through it, and it's so tall that that on each side of the path it's it's drooping over and it's it's touching one another. It's so is so it I, giant ragweed, or is it common? no? It's just common ragweed. No, wow, there was some giant ragweed too, but but that it was just mostly common ragweed. It That's crazy. Grew tall ironweed i got milkweed everywhere um i got uh let's see uh what's the one that's got the yellow flower oh goldenrod i bet there's a lot of bees and a lot of insects over there then if you've got that much different uh different stuff in it that's great that's so awesome so awesome how have you noticed much on the deer activity uh, usage. I mean, it sounds like the ragweed's as thick as the switchgrass. But have you noticed much usage out <laughs> yeah. of out of it? Well, I think that you know it is thick. It is thick, but they utilize those paths that I made. Okay. And I and I think that next year's going to be better. And yeah. I think maybe the next year after that's going to be even better. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think that as you know, you get differing different things coming in and different structures and different sizes of things. Um, and I, I think it's just going to get better. That's awesome. Uh, but yes, they, they do, they do use it. And, um, I like it much better now, uh, like it is than I did when it was switchgrass. What the family, you said the family liked the heritage blend. What's the family think of that with all the milkweed and all the, all the other natives blooming? Yeah, they they really liked that. They thought that was cool. They, That's awesome. You know, um, you know my my son, you know he's uh, three, and you know sunflower heads as big as his head, and, <laughs> and he just thought that was amazing. You know, and they were so pretty. Um, you know, and, and my wife liked them, and so uh, I believe cool. I, I believe we got some folks. Uh, uh, there was some, there was some folks in the community that wanted to come take pictures, um, you know, family pictures in the, in next to the sunflowers, and so uh, yeah, we that was something that we all enjoyed, and and, and in the summertime we'd go over and 
and when they first started blooming, we'd see some blooming, and the next week would come by, and there would be more blooming. And so that that was something that we all enjoyed. Awesome, you know, riding around looking at those. Oh man! So it sounds like you're you're uh, you've improved all your old fields. You're you're increasing your soft edge by edge feathering and removing invasives. You're Yep. You're not only removing invasives in the old fields, but you've got them in the timber you're working on. You're doing timber stand improvement. You're doing all the things that we talk about through the podcast, and you've done it in the course of, or, or, or the course of, however long it's been—six months, eight months—since um, yep. I visited with you. Um, do you feel like the the last eight months? Um, the the changes that you've seen and how drastic it they've been in 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 areas do you feel like uh like how's your and I almost I don't even want to romanticize it but how is your overall emotions on the farm with this kind of habitat management versus the 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 traditional food plot plant trees mineral trail camera type stuff oh man i i, I just I, I I believe I look forward to January more than I do uh, opening day of deer season or turkey season or whatever. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? Yeah, I, I mean it's just you know I I've just got a list of things I just can't wait to try and to do because you know I just see you know I'd see the benefits of it and uh, so so yeah I. I I love it way more than I do just food plots, which I love food plots. But if it, you know, doing food plots only, it's just uh, it's just so inadequate yeah. as far what it could potentially be. If you put all your, I guess, eggs in one basket, and that basket being food plots, when it comes to your 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 time on the farm, that's not hunting. We all know food plots fail a lot easier than than your native stuff. And so it's like, right. oh, man, what's going on? Why am I so bad at this? And you can yeah. find yourself singing the blues and almost building this dark cloud over you when you think about your farm. Yeah. Um, and this type of, I, you know, we talked to so many clients in the course of a year. and It's always, it's almost more of a mindset change to where at the end of the year you can look back and say, man, I just enjoyed my time on the farm. Rather than saying, "Oh, what do I got to do next year to make sure I re- reach my goals," yeah, uh, you start you carry this happiness with you of, "Okay, as soon as deer season's over, I'll be right back at it." Rather yeah. than getting the cabin fever and being depressed, right, right, yeah. So let's jump in and start talking about your hunt. So there's a lot right. of things that you and I discussed uh, over the since since you harvested this deer, but walk me through. You know, it's late summer. You're probably aware of some deer on the farm, um, mm-hmm. and and what was that like? Like, when did you find out about this buck? Um, the day the the day that I killed him. I, <laughs> exactly. It, it, yeah. Is when I when I he showed up. Um, you know, which is typical this time of year. They their velvets off, and their patterns are changing and you know, deer going different places and doing different things, you know, because it's, you can't just contain them, uh, you know, in a, in a real small area, you know, they're going to, they're going to go where they want to go. Yep. So this particular deer, um, showed up on my, my camera, 
uh, which I get sent pictures. They sent, sends me to my phone. Yep. Showed up on my camera. Uh, that that the evening before that I killed him, yeah. And then the morning of that I killed him, and so I thought, and it was by all of them was in daylight. So you know, I, I felt really confident that um, that if he was there that morning uh, and the evening prior, um, you know, there's there's a really good chance he's going to come back through. Uh, so I just took that that most you know, recent information and went in, had a, had a, uh, d- decent wind and went in and, and, you know, he came, came through, you know, right. You know, the last of the last part of the evening. So it was, mm. you know, it and he was, was headed to a soybean field, right? Yeah, that's right. He Eat, was headed to a soybean field. Eating green leaves off soybeans. Yep. Yep. And so, uh, you know, to count for the 25 acres of crops you have, you know, he was coming. It's it's funny because when I was visiting there, you were starting to implement some roads, some access yep. roads, and most importantly, some firebreak roads. Um, so yep. along your along your boundaries, and you created one that was going from an amazing saddle uh, that we stood there, mm-hmm. and you said, this is one of my favorite places. I'm like, I totally get it. This is a, an amazing <laughs> bottleneck. Yeah. And it's like, I'm, gonna, yeah. I'm planning on putting a road from here down to the to the field and i was like i'm all in favor of that and it's a great fire break and it's just gonna basically yep. create a highway of deer that are in this bottleneck that want to get to the field they're just going to walk right down the path of least resistance and that's yep. exactly what happened for you yep what and, was it and, and and what was what was interesting about that those roads and those those uh boundary line roads and then the fire break roads is that there were deer that i know you know, would have had to have been uh, bedded or come from, you know, maybe a neighbor, but they, they, they would come to those roads and they would, it was just like death road is what it was. They, <laughs> they, would, they would come to those roads and they, that's where they wanted to go. That's where they wanted to be. It's like the and, green uh, mile. We're walking the mile, walking the mile, yep. walking the green mile. Yep. Oh, man. Yep. Wow. What did, what did the deer end up scoring? Uh, he scored one thirty five. One thirty five. Uh, shot it with a bow. Yep. 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 Well, uh, how he old? Was, he was four. Well, the best I can tell, I, the best from what I know about him, he's four and a half. Four and a half. So you had pictures. Uh, you had pictures of a, a buck that you'd seen throughout the summer that you believed was three and a half. Yep. And he yep. was with the, this buck. And this buck yep. was significantly bigger bodied than, oh, yeah. than the three and a half year old. So you're going, okay, he's he's definitely mature, and that's what I want to harvest personally. So he's he's ready to. I'm ready to make yeah. this happen. Yeah. Awesome. And, uh, you know, so that, that 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 you know that's my main objective. I wanted to kill something that was at least four and a half. Perfect. And uh, and you know that's what I did. I wasn't. You know, I'm not really. I'd love for him to have been 170, but that's, you know, that's secondary. So yep. I, I was I was more than happy. That's uh, awesome. With, uh, with taking this deer. What a what a year for habitat and getting the reward of all that work. Because I know you've been you've been pounding away over there on the, on habitat management. So it's it's always nice to hear a client that's like first day out took this buck and it's like man that happened fast. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. that's awesome yeah. well I, I know you're going to enjoy the fall 
the remainder of the fall um, with the family. Hopefully get them some deer as well. Hopefully take a few does uh, also. Um, yeah. But and, yeah, and then be ready to get back after it. Yeah. Yeah. The does is definitely on my list of things I got to do. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for coming on and telling your story and and uh, hopefully inspiring others to to do some habitat work uh, so they can also reap the rewards of the hard work well i i very much appreciate the opportunity yep.